0: Are you ready? Zach Meisel, I said, are you ready?
1: TJ, I know we're allowed to swear, but
0: where are you going with this? (laughs) Then, for the thousands listening to the podcast and the millions who have no idea who we are, let's get ready to talk some baseball. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Um,
1: You know, as you know, I... Occasionally, when I've got I don't know either time to kill before bed or maybe when I'm eating breakfast or something. Sometimes I was I was a big fan of the Attitude Era in the WWF, and I don't really watch wrestling anymore. It's been a long time, but ninety nine two thousand little fourth grade Zach was a big fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So sometimes I like to watch videos, old school videos, and uh, I recently watched when DX went and took over or tried to take over. I don't know really what they were
0: doing with WCW, um, but they <laughs> I don't like, think invaded they their knew. space. They didn't know yeah. what they were doing. They were just hoping to cause a scene.
1: So many of those vignettes and storylines, I guess they were probably really stupid then, but I was so young and dumb, it didn't matter. But now looking back, they're just like, what, what is this? Well, why, why did they think this made sense?
0: <laughs> a little revisionist history, too, where you, you look back fondly on uh, Snitsky punting Lita's baby, But in the moment, you're like, what, what, what? He just, did he just punt a doll, a baby doll into the crowd? Uh, But looking back on it now, it was a highlight of your youth. But I'm right there with you. You didn't, you did get to enjoy the Royal Rumble this week, so it wasn't all bad.
1: Yeah, I watched a little, like, I don't know who any of these people are. That's, that's the problem when you take, I don't know, 15, 20 years off um, from falling closely,
0: but. Uh, Ronda Rousey, how about that? Yeah, she showed up, pointed at a sign, made everyone lose their minds, and created some internet memes. So, all in a good night's work. Um, and meanwhile, here we are, um, and nothing has happened I guess <laughs> that's That's not completely true. There are things happening around baseball now. There are more things that impact other things that maybe could impact the Indians, and the Indians are going to bid farewell to their... Their logo, which we'll get into coming up in the podcast, but it is the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. We are from The Athletic. And of course, thank everyone that has subscribed over the past few months on Apple Podcasts and Bumpers and are quickly climbing the charts, but we do urge all of you to rate and review our podcast so maybe we can actually show up in some top lists. So Maybe one day people will look back and say, you remember that awesome podcast that those two guys did Wasn't that fantastic? That's what somebody who is a fourth grader now will soon be saying in the near future.
1: And they'll also think when they get older, man, now that I think
0: and I listen back to that podcast, man, it was dumb and it didn't make sense. (laughs) I thought it was cutting edge. At the time, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I I don't hear a lot of other podcasts talking about this, though. I, I, I texted you yesterday, late last night, when I remembered that I had a dream. We all have dreams, but you've had many baseball dreams because it's what we're thinking about, what, 75% of the day? And the other 25% Mm -hmm. is things we probably can't mention on this podcast. No, the other 25% is fake baseball. (laughs) What I was lumping that in with the actual baseball because Ah. I would say probably 75% of the baseball thought is about fake baseball. And only 25% of that is real baseball. But anyways, I digress. The reason why I, I... I mentioned the dreams because I know you've had many baseball themed dreams. It's what we think about constantly. And I'm sure everyone out there has dreams about their work and people that they work with. Well, we work with managers and baseball players and that's what we're thinking about. So we have many baseball themed dreams of which we have shared. And I had one the other night where you and I owned a house for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know which house it was. I don't know. My bedroom was in the basement. This was like college or or something. Uh, But I do remember that the kitchen was actually the kitchen in our house now, in my house with my wife. And in the kitchen, we would lend that out to the Indians where Terry Francona would come and do his pre- and post-game media sessions in the kitchen with the media. So that was the space in which they did it. And he was in there doing his media session. And then afterwards, some sort of cooking show came in. And Terry Francona was do, was taking part in a segment of a cooking show, and this was all coordinated by Terry Francona's secretary, which was Jenna Fisher from the office. So it was really it really checked all the boxes on weird dreams for me. Do you often remember a lot of like vivid details from your dreams? Not, I, I remember themes. I rarely remember vivid details, but that was one that stuck out to me where I didn't know if it was my brain saying, hey, it's time to actually go do some real work instead of being around the house all the time. So let's think about actual baseball work or if it was just me being stupid. But I I mentioned it to you because I know you've had your fair share of baseball-related dreams as well.
1: But my problem is I never remember them. I I can, and uh, a funny aside here, um, (laughs) during our conversation, we have a text thread with a few baseball writers and I, I felt like I had a baseball-related dream within the last week and shared it with you guys on the thread. So, <laughs> so I was just scrolling back and scrolling back, and I'm listening to every word you're saying, of course. But I couldn't find it, and as it happened, I accidentally sent an audio text to the thread of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So the people on the thread are going to get a sneak peek to the podcast, and also I... Won't be able to answer them until we're done with this. So um, that's a little aside. No, I, I the one that stands out is for some reason a couple years ago, and I only remember this because someone had retweeted it like a year later on the on Timehop or something. But I had a dream about Jason Isringhausen, and I, was he was never with the Indians, was he? No, never. It's just just a your random right-handed reliever from. The early 2000s. Had you just up in my dreams?
0: Watching Moneyball. How would Jason Isringhausen? I, land I don't into, Land in a, in a dream for you.
1: That's my problem.
0: Is I don't have. I, I never remember the details. How would he land in there, and, and yet Octavio Dotel not register somewhere in the dream? Because Octavio Dotel is part of the fabric of my real life. That would be drifting into fantasy as opposed to dream. The only other dream that I can remember off the top of my head is this was, I believe, at the beginning of the winter. I think I texted this to you guys too. I had a dream about, for some reason, Francisco Lindor was not allowed to play shortstop anymore. And the Indians were going to have to open the season by by rule, by law, with Michael Martinez at shortstop. And he was going to have to open the year as their starting shortstop. And they had there was nothing they could do about it. They were mandated this was going to have to happen. What would okay. that have done to the Indians fangraph projection model?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. And I, I uh, like, now, that, sorry, I'm bugged because I want to remember all these dreams I've had. And I, I think I need to see somebody. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I, there was Jason Iserhausen, and there was another one about a player.
0: Was it like a weird I trade? I thought, I feel like you told me about a weird trade you had.
1: Maybe. And you, you know what's crazy is my wife,
0: my wife will,
1: she'll have like a 10-minute monologue explaining her dream from the previous night. I'm like, how do you remember that? So, I don't know.
0: Most of my dreams are about the end of the world. Aliens, hurricanes, tornadoes. just the Indians n- off-season. Natural disasters. <laughs> uh, and for some... This would fall in the category of the Indians getting rid of Chief Wahoo, which we learned this week was going to happen in 2019, but it's not exactly a surprise. It's been something that has been building for several years now, and once they went away from Wahoo as their primary logo in 2014, it was only a matter of time, and really the process felt sped up by the the All-Star game coming in 2019. Now, everyone says on the record, "Oh no, no, these are two separate things, but... The entire time, it never felt that way. It felt like this was a, yes, you are ready for an All-Star game. Yes, you've made updates to the ballpark. You do this one last thing, we get this taken care of, and the All-Star game can come to Cleveland. And it just kind of felt like a, a, a timing sort of thing where it all came together. But any any thoughts, any any huh. takeaways, anything that just you couldn't escape over the past 24 hours since learning of the, the actual news that Chief Wahoo will go away next year?
1: Yeah, I have a few, not rants, but let's start with this. Number one, if you are a producer of a radio show or a radio host and you are reaching out to me and you explicitly ask if I want to come on your show to talk about Chief Wahoo, I'm probably not going to reply. I I think I went 50-50 yesterday between either just ignoring the producers or just saying no thank you. And look... I do tons of radio hits. I have a, a really... I'm really bad at saying no, but this is this is the first time I've ever talked on the record about this topic, I think. Might as well save it for our podcast, TJ. Um, I Look, I get it. I get the attachment to it because people in this city, if you like the baseball, if you like the Indians, you freaking love it. Um, there are diehards in this town and... People who have loved everything about the Indians for for decades and decades. I, I get that. Um, I, I also obviously understand the, the the sensitivity of people who find it offensive and who have found it offensive for a long time and who have been pretty sick and tired of of nothing ever coming of it. And so, I I think from my perspective, my personal take on it is. I'm glad that it's going away because we're finally getting resolutions. So I don't have, look, I worked at cleveland.com, which is, it's no secret. They love, they love clickbait. They love getting clicks. Chief Wahoo, they, that, that's their top, like when, when there's Chief Wahoo news, the people in that newsroom who oversee everything are happier than they could, than they ever would be. Um, and it's going to be nice to, and it's still going to take a couple of years, but maybe to move on from this topic. And I'm happy about that because we shouldn't still be talking about this in 2018 one way or the other, whether you want to keep it or get rid of it. And so it, it, it's funny because I, I, you know, you get all the outrage and I, I will never tweet an opinion on it. Cause I honestly, I don't have an opinion. My opinion is let's stop caring so much about a logo. That, that's my opinion. But you still, no matter what you say about it, you get infiltrated with people who are from both sides. And the ones that I can't, wrap my head around are the people who say they're never going to watch another Indians game. They're never going to follow. I feel okay to talk about one of my good friends who has been a loyal, lifelong Indians fan and if what he said yesterday was true, then he won't be listening to this podcast. And that is, he will never spend another dime on uh, on Indians tickets. And I said, okay, he's already got a trip booked to the opener in Seattle. (laughs) And so I brought that up and he's like, well, we'll see if I go now. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm just going to watch games on TV. I'm like, well, then you're still supporting the team and you're boosting their TV ratings. You're still, that's still helping ownership. And he's like, okay, well, I'm done. And so he ended up unfollowing me on Twitter and said, I still support you very much and I'm proud of you. And, but I, you know, I just, I don't want to see any Indians news. I'm so done with this franchise and his family's house has like three separate rooms devoted to Indians memorabilia and pictures. Like, This is as loyal of a diehard as it gets, and to say that you're just going to completely scrap that fabric of your life because they got rid of a logo that some people find offensive is just mind-boggling to me. And so it's it's like, look, we're in this era where people overreact to a lot of things, people are sensitive about a lot of things, people are angry about a lot of things. This is, we've become, we've reached a point where it's like, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. But I, it's still, I'm marveling at the fact that there are people who are this upset about a decision about a logo. Like, if, if they, they've got a chance to win the World Series and you're going to abandon that journey because of a logo, you're going to, like, if, if, if they are playing in October, in late October, going for a world first world series in 70 years to snap the longest drought in league history or in in the currently in the league you're just going to not watch because they took a they're taking away a logo like I, I i people care too much about things that i don't really understand why they ever cared about to begin with but and you know what Zach, I, I, i'll just never understand
0: i think social media does a lot to to add fuel to the fire because there are people sure. yes that don't want to see the logo go away, are attached to it for for good reasons, that don't wear it to offend anybody. They're not trying to make some sort of statement about Native Americans. They wear it because they love it, and it's a symbol for them. It's a a, a rallying cry for them. It's something that they love. And so they feel like they're being victimized here. And I think there's just a general thought within social media that is probably added fuel to this too, where everyone is looking for a reason to be outraged. Everyone is looking for a reason to feel like a victim now. And, and this just kind of becomes the latest vessel in, in that sort of thought. I, I, I find it difficult for a number of reasons because it's really complex. And anyone that tells you that it's not complex, I think, I don't think they're being fair to the topic mm-hmm. be- because yes, everything about it can be viewed through a prism of it being a racist logo of it being something that any organization shouldn't want to use as to kind of establish its identity. And I understand that thought. But I think to to spin it in such a way that everybody that feels that they love it is a racist or doesn't appreciate native americans or, or something to that effect is probably going a little bit too far and i think that's almost, i think that's trying to poke the bear to almost get that reaction that you're looking for on the other side so there's a lot of of trolling that comes with with this sort of topic that yes there's some good being done under the surface but Overall, there's a lot of bad that comes out of this too. So that's where I agree that it's a good thing that we can finally put this in the past, that it doesn't have to be something that everyone fights over. Uh, because it, to me, I, I've always found it difficult to tell people, this is how you should feel about something. Mm-hmm. It's not really my place. And, and sometimes I get caught up in that and I have to remind myself, hold on, dude, this, I should not be telling you what your emotions should be. I should not be telling you what you should like or how you should react. That's not my place. And, and so I always have to try to remind myself of that. Don't try to put words in other people's mouths. Don't spin it in such a way that you think you're speaking for other people. Just speak for you. Speak from the heart. Be honest. And I can appreciate that. Um, so that's why it's it's been difficult. And I've never really – I don't know if you feel the same as me. And I tweeted this yesterday. But I've never really been able to completely grasp the divide between those that support it and those that oppose it. Because the social media, to, to use that as your barometer is – it's silly because we just the the cross section of people that you get on social media is so small compared to what people actually believe and how they actually feel. I just I think it's dangerous, not just with this, but really almost everything, but especially this, because social media gets the loudest yellers among the smallest minority. And that's the, the takeaway that you get. And I don't know that that's fair either. Yeah, I mean.
1: It's. I'd be more understanding of the whole I'm abandoning the franchise now take if they were banning Chief Wahoo uh, gear in the ballpark. But no one's stopping you from wearing your stuff. You'll still be able to buy it. Like, I, I... We all just need to take a deep breath. Gain some perspective and realize what's important in life, and this is not anywhere near that. So I, I, it's ridiculous to me. Just some of, and I know, like you said, it's a small subset of the population, but it's a vocal subset, and it's a subset yes. that I see more on, most often. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's why I've I've avoided writing about the topic as much as possible because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with with that vocal. Um, subset of the population and you know what no
0: matter you know no matter what side of this too you take zach people are going to put words in your mouth even if you're trying to be fair and say this is how both sides feel about this and i'm just reporting on that it'll be spun in such a way that they can use that as fuel for whichever side of the argument they're they're standing on (laughs) i'm like you i got i'm sure you probably got this one too i got a, a request from bbc something or other that wanted to do something from overseas to talk about this topic. And and anytime that comes across my email, my text, I'm out. I am not doing (laughs) that because I don't want this to be. And I think Nick Camino of WTAM fell in this trap. uh, Maybe it was last year or the year before where they said, hey, come in here and give us the side of, of Clevelanders and what they feel like. And he got brought in and then he got like assaulted on the air because they knew that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody that they could attack and made to look silly. And that's, that's a situation that I will happily walk away from because, like I said, I think it's important to note that there are, there are things on many sides. This is a very complex issue, and to just say it's one thing or another I think is, is doing a disservice to, to people on both sides of it.
1: Yeah, I mean you're never going to convince someone else,
0: so it's not worth it. I
1: mean there are – I've written plenty of columns in my life and it's like there are things sometimes you write something to it's more than sharing your opinion it's kind of not necessarily persuading the masses but just kind of laying it out there that hey this is probably the most reasoned line of thinking that I can come up with well this it's not worth doing that in this regard because the lines have been drawn and, and no one's no one's crossing over i mean it's it's and that's why this has been such a lengthy painful process and even though I think there's a lot of sugarcoating to some of the quotes Paul Dolan had in, in Cleveland.com, I, I do think there's a little bit. I mean, he said this is the hardest decision he's had to make as as an owner in almost 20 years with the Indians. I, look, I don't. I'm sure he's had tougher decisions to make. I'm sure he's had um, stuff he's cared about more, and I'm sure he's playing to certain segments of the population with what he says, and it, it's all crafted carefully. But I'm sure it was not easy, and this is something that they've been discussing and going back and forth on for years and years and years just because it is the divide is so deep and Mm. and everyone's fists are clenched and and they're dug in. You're not going to convince anyone to change their mind. And so it's it's why a decision had to be made, though, too, Um, and probably why the Indians and and Dolan have framed it to make it look like
0: this is MLB's decision. Zach, it doesn't... It doesn't offend me. The logo doesn't offend me when I look at it. But I appreciate those that could feel that way about it. I'm also not the target of it. I'm not not part of the segment of the population that it is targeting that should be offended by it. So I can't speak for them. I can only speak for me. But I do know that the logo that represents your team should unite and inspire fans. It should bring people together. It should never divide on any level. So if you if you're for it or against it or somewhere in the middle, what I think we could all agree on is that if you're creating this this gigantic divide within fan bases, it's probably not for you. It's probably not a great look. There's probably a better way to go. Mm-hmm. The, the bigger well, not the bigger issue, but an issue, a part of this is by taking that away, it kind of takes away part of an identity for a fan base that grew up associating with and loving that logo that they don't, they don't get that same warm and fuzzy feeling with the block C that's going to replace it, at least for now. And they said they're open to different ideas, and they could go in a different direction years from now. Uh, I think they should. I think they should reapproach that because the block C it just kind of leaves you with that. Ah, okay, it exists. That's the best don't. thing I could I could say about that logo is is it, it exists. It doesn't offend anybody. It's it's fine. It represents the C is for Cleveland. It fits all the requirements. But because you don't have anything else to kind of grab onto, and then you're left with that, I, I think that adds to it as well. If there was something there that you could give fans that they could grab onto, and maybe it's smart that they kind of let this simmer and let everyone get their anger out, and then a couple of years from now they can come back and reapproach this, and maybe everyone has clearer minds. But right now it makes it tough because if you're leaving fans with just the Block C, no one's. I, I can't see 30, 40 years from now anyone really going to battle over-the-block C as being a logo that they just loved as they were growing up. What about the
1: team name? Do
0: you keep the team name? I would keep it. I, I would. I, I, I love the, the logo that you tweeted out from – what's the T-shirt company that has GV the feather? artwork. Yeah. The, I, I love that logo. I think it's fantastic. The feather they've Agreed. used, the C that they've used. So some play off of that I would enjoy.
1: So, one example of the ridiculousness that's out there in regards to this topic is, I, I did tweet out the, the GV artwork logo, um, I said that I've I've liked the look for a while, look, I'm not an expert on this, if, if this is also going to offend people somehow, then that's a discussion for a later date, all I said was I liked the look, so, some man <laughs> thought I t- created the design and was looking... <laughs> to profit off of it by it becoming the indians logo and he said you don't deserve any proceeds all proceeds should go to the indians and i said what are you talking about and he just goes on and on and on i I said i I didn't design this i don't want proceeds and stop yelling at me crazy man (laughs) and so I, i looked you know i did a little snooping to see who is this person and he tweeted At the time I checked, he had tweeted about half the teams in Major League Baseball. These are all sarcastic. I'll read a few. He wants, if the Indians are, if they're going to get rid of Chief Wahoo, the Indians' name is offensive, then this guy wants every team to change their team name. And and so So he he tweeted
0: tweeted at every single team that you checked? Well, at at the time I checked, he
1: had tweeted about 15 teams. He could have, maybe he finished them all. But, I mean, he's... There's nothing is excused here. He tweeted, At Tigers, this is an animal known for killing just for fun. With all the gun protests out there, I really think it is offensive to glamorize killing for fun. He tweeted, At Red Sox, a very offensive name. It needs to be changed. What man in their right mind would wear such crap red socks? They go with nothing.
0: It's got kind of a point there.
1: Yeah, that one's actually kind of funny. Um, I mean, he's some of these are... <laughs> he tweeted at twins. There is starvation throughout the world, and we are making two at a time? Are you <laughs> kidding me? This name shows no shame. It must go.
0: As if people are signing up for having twins. Yeah, yeah I'll take the twins option, please. <laughs> Meanwhile, my wife recently at our, our ultrasound was, was saying quite the opposite. And we were very happy to see there's only one child in that stomach.
1: Well, congratulations.
0: Um, I have one
1: more I would like to read. I mean, he tweeted at the Reds, the Pirates, the Yankees, the Giants, the Padres, the Royals. This might be my favorite. At d this is a rattlesnake, which <laughs> to those who are allergic will die if they are bit. Yes, let's celebrate this.
0: So I guess we can stay away from the spiders, too would certainly be offensive to some that have arachnophobia and we need to think about that. I think it's them. a
1: cool mascot and you could make a cool logo but I'm terrified of spiders so I'd probably have to switch beats. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the bandaid has been ripped off so to speak and now everyone can can feel the pain, can be ecstatic, can be happy about it. And then hopefully within uh well, it'll probably be more than a year because once it's actually physically taken off the uniform and people see the, the, the uniform without the Chief Wahoo on it, there will probably be even more backlash. But once we get past that, it'll all be done. I can't say the same for the divide between those that feel like Omar Vizquel, who's a Hall of Famer, and those that feel like he was not. And because he got 37% of the vote, he stays on the ballot, which I think is a good thing. And I wrote this recently at The Athletic. So many of these arguments about the Hall of Fame is tied to what? Steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, and, and whether a guy was a jerk or not, like Kurt Schilling. I don't have to worry about that with Omar. We can, we can debate, and it's, yes, an old-school versus new-school thing, and that sometimes gets a little played out, a little old. But we're still arguing about his merits on the baseball field. And I I feel like at a time where everything gets politicized and everything is about finding somebody's character, with Omar, we're just debating baseball stuff. And I can appreciate that. So the fact that he stays on the ballot for the next year and maybe beyond is, I think, a good thing for the Hall of Fame debate. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you had a really thoughtful piece on this. And I I wanted to talk about this because I I wanted to say one thing. And I've written a couple times in the past about how Kenny Lofton... Falling off the ballot after his first year was just maybe the biggest shame in the history of the Hall of Fame. And it was reinforced when Tim Raines got elected in his final year, was it two years ago now, Um, because they were pretty similar players, and you could argue that Lofton was maybe a tick better. And there are so many things wrong with the Hall of Fame process and the balloting process, Which has to do a lot to has to do has a lot to do with this, Um, and Lofton obviously should have stayed on the ballot and deserved a longer look. He just he got buried by the Bonds and Clemens and McGuire's of the world, and so I I wanted to make this point with Omar. I, I don't know how I would vote if I had a ballot. I'm still a few years away, and so I don't give it thought that I would give it if I had the ballot sitting in front of me. I'm not saying I would vote for him, but I think we penalize people for the wrong reasons sometimes. And I think when you when you look at a guy like Omar, obviously his offensive number... He, offensively, he was not... He was a below average player. There, there's no getting around that. He had... In 99, he had an incredible offensive season which came out of nowhere and was never repeated. Um... But he was... Most of the time, he he shouldn't... We've talked about in previous podcasts. He should not have been batting second. Probably should have been hitting eighth or ninth. Um, And that said, defensively, phenomenal. And and as a kid growing up in Cleveland and and falling in love with the Indians of the 90s, he was a treat to watch. And I remember, you know, I used to practice in my front yard catching fly balls or pop-ups with my back turned to home plate. Or the front door, I guess. Um, And and trying to barehand stuff and especially when you're you're charging a ground ball in the infield stuff like that. He was he was an absolute role model on the field. That that doesn't make him a Hall of Famer, but the fact that he stuck around as long as he did should never ever ever be held against him. And people want to look, he had more hits than Babe Ruth. Is that a ticket to Cooperstown? No. But the fact that he compiled 2800 hits is That should be positive in his favor. That should not be held against him because it took him so long to do that. It's not like he was sticking around and playing 162 games in his 40s and hitting 220 every year and, and getting hits that way. It's the fact that he was so valued for his defense and his leadership and his, the intangibles, which you can't measure, but they still mean something that means a lot. And the fact that he was so highly regarded by people who had been around the game for a really long time, I think has to at least account for something. So maybe it doesn't account for enough. Maybe his defense plus his longevity and those intangibles um, don't outweigh his offense in your mind. That's fine. But at least give it consideration because Tim Raines stuck around for a long time and compiled some stats and we ended up rewarding him in his final year. And maybe Omar gets there, especially once Bonds and Clemens come off the ballot in a few years. Maybe he doesn't, but it's at least worthy of consideration. I don't think it should be held against him that he stuck around for a long time. It's so few players nowadays stick around. I mean, who, who plays 25 years in the league? There's a reason he did, and it's, it's I think it's more than just defense. It's the fact he was playing shortstop at like 44, 45 years old. That shouldn't be taken for granted. I think that's fair.
0: I, I've, I've looked at this always feeling like those that immediately say and, and, and quickly dismiss Omar as not being a Hall of Famer, I don't think they're doing him justice. I've always wondered why the metrics weren't better for him. And, and no matter what you looked at, he didn't compare to Ozzy Smith. And those that watched Omar play every day, including you and I, for most of his career – Maybe we say that divide is a lot closer than those that are just looking strictly at numbers. But I'm with you. I don't think think that should ever be an easy decision with him. I also feel the same way about saying that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that's just an easy decision, oh, well, because he was a great defender. I think this is worthy of a really long look. And I'm glad that he got 37% because that's close enough where... You could project that in a few years to be close to being in the Hall of Fame. The biggest issue I, I had with Omar in, in this entire debate, and this comes back to the point you made earlier about the voting process. The way things are set up right now, it is extremely difficult to put a check mark next to Omar Vizquel and not look at all of the other players on the ballot that are more deserving than him. You can, and you can have many different levels of Hall of Famers, right? Like. There are some that are more deserving of being in there than others. They're all worthy of being in there. But there are some that were just better players and some that are are more worthy of the honor than Omar. And this is what happens when you get this backlog on the ballot with guys like, as you said, Bonds and Clemens and and Edgar Martínez and if – You take away him being a a jerk off the field. Kurt Schilling on the field is absolutely a Hall of Famer. Mike Mussina. I I, I could go on with guys that I think are probably more worthy of being in and are ahead of Omar in line than than Vizquel was. And that's just part of the way this voting is set up now. I know why they do it the way that they do it, and they want to spread things out so you don't have one year of seven guys getting in and the next year have nobody getting in but I I wish we could just look at each player individually and and judge them based on their own merit instead of trying to figure out how you get 10 guys on your ballot. I would go yes, no to me. I would say, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Yes or no. And I could say that to as many guys are on the ballot as as I believe are actually Hall of Famers.
1: Yeah, I like that process better too. I I just, we also, I don't like the one dimensional term. I, I think that I mean, it's not like Tommy was a goal glover at first or third base. He, he couldn't move for most of his career. So, it, we, I mean, he was a one dimensional player. Edgar Martinez, if, if he's got 70% of the vote now and, and he's got a good chance to make it next year, he was a DH. So, I understand that Omar's dimension was defense and not offense, but it's not like, you know, a lot of these, guys, these sluggers were, were terrible defensively.
0: Or they were statues at first
1: base. The difficult
0: thing, though, Zach, is I think you would agree. Isn't it much easier to judge a player's offense than it is their defense, especially looking back 10, 15, 20 years? And and that's why it's easier. It'll always be easier until we get some where, where guys are actually just wearing radar vests on the field and we can measure it to the nth of the degree. It'll always be easier to build an an offensive case as opposed to a defensive case. For Omar, it is almost impossible to build a case entirely on defense. If his offense was just a smidge better, he would probably be a slam dunk candidate for getting in. But the way it's set up now, it's like as close to the borderline as you could get.
1: It is. And that's why I look to external variables like he stuck around and was playing shortstop for a quarter of a century because nobody does that anymore. So he must have been really good defensively. And those those people in front offices who are choosing to employ him have better evaluation methods of his defense than we ever would. So that's that's what I would trust. That that's why I would think his defense stands up and it's just a matter of of what you value, what your criteria are after that.
0: Well, we'll get to debate that for another year, probably more. Uh but Thankfully, at least in, in my opinion, he stays on the ballot. and It sounds like for you, too. Last thing before we get out of here this week, Zach, uh, we mentioned very briefly the Brewers and the number of outfitters they now have because they went wild this past week and traded for Christian Yelich, signed Lorenzo Cain, did all those things that we kind of talked about on the podcast for the last two or three weeks, being aggressive, buying in a market where everyone's just looking to stand pat or sell and trying to go win a World Series this year. I don't know if it'll happen. I think there's still more work to be done in Milwaukee, but no one really cares our opinion on the Brewers outside of maybe one. They have a better chance podcast. than the Monterey Jacks. This is true. What are they, a game above 500? Just got swept by the Rocks in Hardball Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And now you and I are going to match up once in the regular season in one league, in our Baseball Writers League, and we're going to match up in the postseason in a completely different league. That's going to be fun
1: yeah you knocked me out of the playoffs was it last season?
0: Yes, I believe we both hate that yeah. league so I, do we even do either of us want to win well this is what sucks is this is probably the last year in that league for both of us because we're we're not a fan of the management let's say in the league uh so we i think we both kind of agree this would be our last go at it and unfortunately why do we have to face each other in the first round right. I, I would it would have been much more fun if we could have Waltzed all the way through the American League, and then you and I would have matched up in the ALCS. But unfortunately, this is going to happen very early in the process. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that.
1: Um, I like what the Brewers are doing, and they're in our favorite part of when we. You know, we. I I apologize for anyone who hates us talking about our fantasy fake fantasy baseball, but um, it's so relatable to real life. They're in the best part when you tear down a team and you go through a few really lean seasons and you have these scrappy players that aren't going to stick around and they're terrible, you're just trying to get to the win floor, they're at the, the, just the greatest part when you're building up and you can spend on free agency and you can make trades with all the prospects you've loaded up on. Like That is so much fun. And It's like where the White Sox will be next year. Yes. I, I like what the Brewers are doing. I think they see a chance to seize control of that division. Um, the Cardinals got a little better with Marcelo Zuna. The Cubs, I think we all think they're going to sign somebody, but no one has signed anyone yet, so they're waiting. Um, but it, that division is open. And, you know, the Cubs are old. They've got some older pieces now, some pieces that have left, and they're still really good. And they have Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and all those other guys in the middle of their order. But there's a chance here. And not only that, but with Kane and Yelich. They're both under control for five seasons, so it's pretty clear what the Brewers see here. They see an opportunity to – I mean, we we said it with the Indians. It's like you want to give yourself as many good chances of getting to October and and being formidable in October as you can, and the Brewers basically are throwing their hat in the ring for the next five seasons and and maybe more. So I like what they're doing. They're Obviously, this is far from a finished product. They've got too many outfielders. They've got pitching needs, um, and they're going to go through – some periods where they find out what deficiencies they have, and they'll have to scour the trade market during the season to try to to fix those. But they're definitely
0: on a nice track. And I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they match up well with the Indians well, in the trade? What's what I'm thinking? You just said they need pitching, and they've got outfielders. The Indians have pitching and need outfielders. Hmm. Hmm. How could they get together on a trade? You know, it's funny because it's it's essentially the same thing that what weren't Chernoff and Antonetti just saying this. This winter, that the way the trade market is now, you're not really trying to trick teams anymore. You're not finding different evaluations. You're just looking for where you line up with a team that has a need, that you have a surplus in that need, and it's the, it's the other way around, in a, an area that you might need to fill. And I think it makes it obvious between these two teams because the Indians have seven starters, if you count Ryan Merritt, for five slots. You have Danny Salazar, who might be the most attractive trade piece there, and the, the Brewers have a guy like Domingo Santana, who is coming off a really good year and really no matter what you look at, whether it's his WRC plus or his expected weighted on base or just the counting stats, everything looks great. and looks like it might continue. Here's the, the one holdup I have for this, that everyone is eager to trade, let's say Salazar for Santana in this, this proposed deal. The Brewers have Santana. He's controllable. He's got what one year under his belt. So he's controllable for another five, I think four or five. So you have him, he looks good, I know his defense is, leaves a lot to be desired, but looks like a really strong right-handed hitter that you would control for a long time. They had that, and they already had a surplus of outfielders. And they went out and, and signed Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. Now, part of that is because they were just taking advantage of an opportunity here, where like a guy like Lorenzo Cain, they couldn't pass on the value, and they just bring it in and see what happens. But they still also took a guy that was really good last year, and basically sent him to the bench, took him out of a job. And if they're willing to trade him, I I have to wonder, is, is there something I'm missing? And there might not be anything I'm missing. Maybe this is it was just too good for them to pass up, and they want to use him as a trade ship to bring somebody in. But is is it fair to me to say, while everything suggests that would be a, a, a meaningful swap for these two teams, that there's something there that's gives me pause that I wonder why they're so quick to trade him away. If he's really as good as we think he might be, wouldn't that be a guy that they hold on to? Or am I missing something there?
1: Yeah, I think the question to me, Ryan Braun is kind of the question mark. Uh, He's, I think he's 34 now. He still has three years left on his deal. They've talked about him shifting to first base some. I'm sure they wish they could just make that contract disappear. Like if, if MLB had an amnesty clause, like... (laughs) <laughs> uh, the NBA did like it. it I I, I kind of think they liked Kane and it was too good to pass up. That's that's my my thinking on it. Um, I, I could see where they keep. I mean, I, it's tough to you have to read the tea leaves here. It's yeah. like because a team could go at the Brewers and say what you just said to have some leverage and say, well, you can either just keep Santana on the bench or you could trade him to us but we're not going to give you the farm for him because your alternative is he plays, you know, how many, how many plate appearances would he get as currently constructed? Yeah. I don't Three, know. 400 maybe. Yeah. And you'd have to really try to get it there. Cause you want Yelich and Kane playing every single day. Right. So it, it makes it a little tough. Uh, you'd be paying Ryan Braun a lot of money for a still pretty productive bat to only play part time. If that's the case. So, Yes, there's some leverage there, and I think the Brewers are kind of trying to temper that leverage that teams can have by saying, oh, no, we're going to keep everybody, and we think we can make this work. We're not worried about it. Yeah, okay. Um, You know, the Indians, it's it's too obvious for a Santana for Salazar-type trade. On the Indians, that makes me nervous. Pitching depth is why they're so feared. Pitching depth is why. Maybe we don't worry so much about the losses of Sean Smith. It's why maybe they have a solution to the future losses of Alan and Miller. I'd be really hesitant to give up Salazar, even with his injury history and his inconsistency. It's, it's, he's kind of that chip. The, the, the starting pitching is, it's the one area where they know they're better than
0: anyone they play. And if you give up Salazar, that, yeah. Comes into major question. Well, then you're banking on Mike Clevenger being as good as he was last year, or anything close to that. Yeah, but and Trevor... God forbid
1: you have an injury, then Julian right. right. Merriweather
0: starting Game Three of the World Series, for or you. or Sean DePaula. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's fair, and that's my biggest reservation about this because it makes sense. But you could also play that other card that I'm playing against Santana. Where why are the Indians willing to even talk about Danny Salazar? He's yeah. not gonna he's not gonna hold the value he once did. And if the Indians trade him, it's because they don't feel like he's ever going to achieve top of the rotation status. Because I don't think you trade someone you believe can still be a one or a two and give you 170, 180 innings a year. And you don't trade that guy if you think he can still achieve that. And I think there's some question. of They still feel like maybe there's a chance in there that he could get close to that. But I I don't think the high hopes that he can do that consistently is there. But you have to be sure because – it, once you start trading away your pitching depth, and as you said, you have an injury, or Trevor Bauer isn't as good as he was, or, or or something freak happens with Carrasco, or or Kluber, the back thing lingers. What is what makes you elite can very quickly come back down to earth, and you have to be almost absolutely sure about the the trade that you make. And I would be really really hesitant in this situation to to want to give up Salazar. Not to mention, I mean. They
1: would have to do something else because where, where's Lonnie Chisenhall going? You gave him almost $6 million and he was really, really productive against right-handed pitching last year. Um, you, you gave Michael Brantley $12 million. So when he's healthy, he's playing. Like It's not like they have this one position on the field where they have no one to fill it. Um, I know that Brandon Geyer might miss the start of the season so they could use a right-handed stick. That's probably where Melvin Upton will come into play, but – There isn't, and obviously Santana would be a real boon for the lineup, but there isn't an obvious spot where they just have nobody. They have guys. It's just a matter of the people they've already
0: committed money to have to perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll see if that plays out in the the coming weeks or or maybe even some part in the season. As you've said about 100 times in the past month or so, (laughs) just about, the way a, a season opens with the roster that you have and how quickly that can change and the guys you carry in April are nowhere close to the guys you have in September. And by the time you get to July, you don't know what your, your needs are going to be. There's really nothing that's forcing the Indians hand to go get that done today. There's, there's really no reason to do that for them. Think about the last two off
1: seasons. You know, a year ago we were sitting here they had just made this World Series run. Yeah, team. people were bummed that they blew a 3-1 lead, but there was so much excitement for the next season. Then they sign Edwin Encarnacion, and everyone's like, okay, this is an all-star team. Just print the World Series tickets now. And everyone was eager. The, the offseason was shorter because they played into November. Everyone was eager to get to spring training, which started earlier because of the World Baseball Classic. It was like the greatest, quickest offseason for an Indians fan in team history. And then this offseason... It's a month longer. You lose you watch one by one Santana leave, Shaw leave, Smith leave, Austin Jackson leave, um, and Jay Bruce leave. The Chief Wahoo thing makes people angry. Um, they've only signed Yonder Alonso and so people aren't happy about that. People are pissed about Kipnis and Brantley. It's like I mean it it's it's been night and day. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Oh, if there's any team that could benefit from a hot start. It would certainly be the Indians. Although, if that happens, you, I can already read the future, despite not having the crystal ball that Tito is still searching for. What will people say if the Indians get off to a hot start? Come on, I know you know the answer. What's a hot start, though? I mean, are we right, talking like 18-3? and three? Uh, Well, that would be impressive. Uh, let's say uh first 25 games they come out of the gate and they are – uh, twenty and five is too strong. Let's say seventeen and seven. Is that no? That's not right. I What's truly
1: believe they could start the season twenty-two and zero, and people would like not like the majority, but there would be a vocal minority that would say, "So what? They won twenty-two in a row last season. It meant nothing. This means nothing too." <laughs> Great. And they would still be complaining about Santana. Well, if you had Santana, you'd be twenty-three and negative one.
0: <laughs> I can't wait for those arguments, and I can't wait for, them, for the majority of them to come from your friend who has given up on the Indians, who I'm sure won't miss a pitch this year, and the man that tweeted at every single team in Major League Baseball, pleading with them to change Do you want to hear any mascot. more of those? Before I would love to. Um,
1: oh, man. Some of these I don't want to read because I don't want to get political. Um, geez, some of these are inappropriate. Uh, he, he gets mad at the Reds because the Reds. He says, he, he, at Reds, you all get mad at Trump and accuse him of dealing with the Russians and say this is bad. Yet you salute Reds. People,
0: the Russians are the Reds. <laughs> what are the social media people thinking? Because they're not... They're not looking at every tweet that he's sent out. They're only getting the one that he tweeted at. them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking if you're the Diamondback social media guy? Let's well, alright, let's open up the mentions, see what's happening. What? <laughs> I just can't even imagine.
1: <laughs> like the San Diego guy, he's got the day off. He's visiting the the San Diego Zoo. He's like feeding some otters and he, the phone buzzes. And he reads a tweet at the Padres. Um, all about religion and how Padres is offensive. <laughs> what does <is> he think? <laughs> I don't
0: know. Uh, but there's always the next tweet that he sends out that I'm looking forward to. All right, then. Well, Zach, I appreciate the time this week, and I am looking forward to my next nap where I can sit down and have a, another baseball-related dream of some sort. Any parting words for our, our listeners this week?
1: You know, we're only two weeks from spring training, and – Hope springs eternal and it's exciting. And it's, it's, I know there's a lot of frustration with the team, with ownership, with the front office, and with how things have gone in the last few months for a variety of reasons. But there is something about whether you're in Goodyear and you head to the, the backfields at seven in the morning to watch guys play catch. And it's mindless. And when you think about it in this context, it's stupid and, boring and who cares. There's something so refreshing about it. Mm-hmm. And so as I look around in Cleveland right now and we just got hit with a few more inches of snow last night. Uh it's just it'll be nice. It'll be nice to finally have baseball, finally have stuff to talk about, finally have stuff to watch, people to talk to. And uh, the the long journey is just around the corner. It's there's nice. something
0: there's something therapeutic about the sun in Arizona. That yeah. It just it just washes away whatever you were feeling prior to that. It's just, I don't know if it's the time of year, if it's the fact that, as you said, we're battling snow on a weekly basis at this time of year, but, man, it feels good to get out there and and take video of Michael Brantley grounding out to second base in a game against minor leaguers. Nothing quite like it.
1: No, so it's exciting. Maybe we can share some spring training stories next week because one's just coming to my mind right now. Write it down. About a night, nightmarish experience. Well, it's,
0: this is during the day, so I'll remember it. It's not a dream. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Be sure to subscribe to the Selby Is Godcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Bumpers. Again, rate and review us so we can rise through the rankings. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Zach Meisel, at TJ Zuppi. And once the season starts, Zach, I think we'll start taking in some more of the listener questions. Once people actually have some questions, the Aren't related to who would win in a race, a tortoise or a a snare drum. So something sloth. That's right. That's I forgot. I thought it was a musical instrument, but it was actually a sloth. But once we actually get into the season, what do you say you actually do a little mailbag action on a regular basis? Let's have give give voice to the people. Well, some of the
1: people. We've given too much voice to the people today.
0: <laughs> have a wonderful week, everybody. And be sure to tweet at your favorite team and tell them why they need to change their name. Until next week, we're out here, see you.